0: Welcome to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We are located at 3501 Cheviot Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio. It is our mission to worship and follow Jesus as we love and serve in his name. Come see us sometime at 10 30 on a Sunday morning or while we feed the community at the Bread of Life Cafe each Wednesday evening at 5 30 p.m. We hope that the following message inspires you in some way today. Uh, Great to be with you all uh, this morning. Uh, And um, just a couple of announcements uh, here. Um, And one is, uh, for those who are not aware, uh, today uh, is Katie and Aaron's 12th anniversary. Um, So, something to celebrate for sure. Uh, um, And then, um, speaking of weddings, this gives me an opportunity uh, to uh, uh, finally have a family discussion with you guys um, about uh, an update in my life. Because uh, again, I'm, with everything that's going on, I'm not sure who knows what. So, uh, in case you haven't heard, um, but let me start, let me back up. Um, because um, most of you know that I've been dating Jen for uh, a year, uh, which will be next week but uh, there's another aspect of it that I wanted to share because I think it shows um, not only does God exist, but his promises exist. So um, so 20, uh, February of 2018, um, I started working for Buckeye Health Plan, um, and its corporate headquarters are in Columbus, Ohio. And they had a satellite office in Blue Ash where I worked up until ban- pandemic took over and then I moved to working out of my house. Uh, But uh, the corporate headquarters is there in Columbus. And probably, I don't know, two or three times a year I would go to Columbus just for uh, meetings uh, with all of my team members who are spread out across the state. Um, And again, uh, about a year ago, uh, this time last year, I started uh, dating Jen, who I met on eHarmony. And it turns out, that Jen also lives in Columbus. But not only does she live in Columbus, but uh, she lives 10 minutes away from my office Uh, and had been, whatever, long before I met her Um, and long before I started my job at Buckeye. So again, um, so that is um, kind of some of the background of how me and Jen met and how I believe God was involved in that. And um, last month, um, I I proposed to her, and she said yes. Uh, So, um, um, which means, of course, um, that I have spent the last couple months transitioning my life to Columbus, where I now live pretty much full-time. I live uh, near Ohio State campus, um, in, in this uh, interim uh, while we are planning and getting things ready uh, for hopefully uh, 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 a wedding in March. So, um, so and uh, with that in mind, uh, I think it's, it's, in, it's on the back of your bulletin. On October 1st, uh, that's Sunday, we're going to uh, meet downstairs uh, to, again, just kind of to, to celebrate that uh, and to, uh, again, just to, reminisce about uh, my time here over the last 30-plus years. Um, so because uh, I was told I was not able to exit uh, without notice or so. Uh, so it's going to be a great time. So if you're available October 1st, uh, we're going to we just enjoy that time together. But again, that's an update on my life uh, that, that's been happening. Um, so, um, so anyway thought I'd share that uh, before we get into uh, today's message here. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll get into uh, today's message. Um, dear God, uh, thank you so much uh, for bringing us here this morning. Uh, and we come this morning uh, thankful for the gospel um, that um, reveals the power of your Son, Jesus. Um, so we come thankful uh, that we uh, have been able to receive it, um, and also are grateful for our opportunity to share it uh, this morning. And we pray uh, that um, through the gospel, through the power of Christ, uh, that we can continue uh, to share it with those who have not heard it yet. In your son's name we pray. Amen. well, if, uh, speaking of, of offices and office settings, um, if you've ever worked in an office, then I'm sure you're familiar uh, with the open door policy of your supervisor. Because uh, usually, uh, when supervisors come in or when they come and go, they usually announce, uh, "My door is always open. You can always come uh, to talk about anything you want." And it's been my experience that sometimes, uh, more times than not, they're so busy doing their job that that door is closed. But but they mean well. Uh, they, they mean well. The idea is for, uh, the, to, ha- to uh, promote uh, transparency and flexibility in the office, to make themselves available to their staff. Uh, that's the idea behind the open door policy at work. Um, and as Acts, 4, Acts 14 shows us today, uh, as the best manager we could ever hope for, um, God not only is the one who is available to us, but he's also the one who makes us able. Uh, available to listen to our shouts of joy, available to hear our cries for help, uh, uh, the one who is able to open any mind, any heart, uh, or any door to the gospel uh, that has not yet heard it. Um, and in light of this truth, um, Acts 14 commits itself to recounting the bold faith of Paul and Barnabas um, in hopes of demonstrating that uh, our our ability as believers Uh, to share the gospel does not reside in our agility, necessarily, or our expertise, uh, but it resides in our availability. Uh, And when we make ourselves available to share the gospel, that's when God makes us able to share the gospel, regardless of our skill or ability, or or our um, agility. Um, But that's the question I was asking myself over this past month, is how do we do that? How do we... um, signal our availability uh, to share the gospel? How do we indicate our openness uh, to receiving the gospel? And that's really who this message is speaking to those two groups. Those who are sharing the gospel and maybe those who haven't received it yet. Maybe those who are still uh, trying to make that decision. So how do we make ourselves available to share it? And for those who are receiving it, how do I show to God that I'm willing and open to receiving the gospel? and, um, and first, I thought, uh, given the amount of uh, ground that they cover in Acts 14, um, I think the first question, uh, when it comes to sharing the Gospel or to receiving it, is that we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to travel uh, for the Gospel? Because the Gospel travels um, long distances. Um, and um, as I was uh, looking at this map, that, um, of Acts 14 and the ground that they cover in one chapter, it kind of reminded me of my cruise itinerary and all the ports that I hit along the way. Um, but it's, it's amazing how much Luke is able to fit into one chapter, but this is their journey. Uh, they don't just stay in Iconium. They go all over um, that part of, um, I guess that's Turkey. Um, so they cover a lot of ground. Um, and because of that, again, I think we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to travel? Uh, for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to travel to receive the gospel? Or go where the gospel leads, I should say. Because uh, again, from um, Iconium, uh, they go to Lystra, then to Derbe. Uh, then they return to Lystra, back to Iconium, and then on to Antioch, by means of Pisadia, uh And then uh, they go into uh, Pamphylia, and they go to Perga, then to then to, then down to Altilia before going back to Antioch. So again, they cover a lot of ground. And again, um, far from being stagnant, the gospel in Acts 14 um, goes out into the world uh, to shine its light in dark places. Um, and also, I think it's interesting that rather than making us come to the gospel by enshrining it in a temple, God designed the gospel to be mobile. Uh, he could have made it like the Ark of the Covenant or like a temple where you go to it uh, and make you go there, but he doesn't do that. The gospel was made mobile so that it can reach as many people as possible. So the gospel was designed for travel, um, which, which I think we see here um, in uh, Acts 14. And I believe that God understood something about travel that Par- Paul and Barnabas would come to learn uh, in their travels. Um, across the known world. And that, it uh, yes, travel is certainly recreational and restorative, but travel is also educational. Um, And um, whether it was discovering uh, that the world was bigger than their small village for Paul Barnabas, I'm sure was eye-opening to them, uh, that their world was so much bigger than the dirt road or the hamlet that they lived in, that it was so much bigger than they thought. Or learning uh, that the world was more Gentile than Jewish was probably a surprise to them because their circles made it maybe made them think that, hey, we're in the majority, but that's not the case. They were a very small minority in the world, so they learned that through travel. Um, and then, as we'll read on later um, in Acts 14, uh, through their travels they learned that not everyone was happy about the gospel uh, being preached. Um, in their town. So, so, again, travel is also educational. And uh, through their education, um, Paul and Barnabas realized that willing to travel for the gospel uh, meant uh, willing to travel beyond one's comfort zone. Uh, they learned that being ready to journey for the gospel meant uh, ready to journey past their assumptions about the world. And of course, uh, Paul and Barnabas learned uh, that in, in sailing for the gospel, they would need to sail past their own preferences uh, to do it. So again, travel is crucial to whether we're receiving or sharing the gospel. Uh, and as for believers in 2023, uh, what does travel have to teach us if we are willing to go out with the gospel into the world? Um, Well, speaking from my own experience, um, that uh, when we do travel outside of the west side of Cincinnati, uh, I've learned um, that uh, the world is more brown than it is white, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, It's more poor than it is rich, and that's frustrating. And then um, also I've learned that uh, it's also more orphaned than it is adopted, and that's heartbreaking. But again, if we travel, that's what we come to learn. It helps us to see the need for the gospel in our world. Um, and our willingness to travel, however, is not the only request that the gospel um, asks of us to consider in Acts 14. Because as we read, whether it's adding believers in the synagogue in the Iconium in verses 1 and 2, or winning large numbers of disciples in Derby in verse 21, the next question um, that uh, the Gospel asks us is, um, are we willing to grow? Uh, so um, are we willing to travel and are we willing to grow? And one of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, deception and lies in the 21st century uh, resides in the falsehood uh, that says the world no longer has any interest or any need for church. That's one of the biggest lies that we battle as a community, is this lie out there that the world no longer has any need for us, nor any interest in church. And that's just simply not true. And we have to fight that. We have to resist that lie at all costs. Um, And this lie tries to look respectable uh, by pointing to the decline in church membership and church attendance and see uh, nobody, nobody cares about the church anymore. Nobody needs it anymore. But again, this is simply not true, because um, I believe um, the ever-increasing rates of poverty and suicide uh, reveal that society's needs for church has not shrunk, but grows with each passing day. Um, Far from shriveling, uh, the rise in mass shootings and wildfires only amplify um, our community's interest in 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 a place that is safe, and they can give shelter. So, the facts are that the church has never needed the world; the world has never needed the church more than it does now. Um, so again, and also pushing it back against this falsehood, Acts 14 proclaims that growth will come to any church that believes in the truth of the gospel. Uh, and therefore, uh, the church does not need um, the endorsement of popular opinion. Um, We don't need the approval of the status quo to grow. If we look weird and we look strange, then so be it. We don't need uh, the approval of uh, the the, the majority. Um, uh, And also, um, uh, a church willing to grow doesn't necessarily need um, celebrity preaching or Grammy award-winning worship or fog machines. Uh, we, We can grow without fog machines. It's possible. Um, Because, again, ultimately, the churches that experience growth, sustainable growth, are churches that are willing to put their hope and trust um, in the power of the gospel. And that's what we see in Acts 14, uh, for sure. A power, uh, nonetheless, that is on full display um, in Acts 14. In Iconium, um, this power enables Paul and Barnabas to perform signs and wonders, as further confirmation um, of the gospel's credibility. Then in Lystra, uh, this power allows Paul to look directly at the man who had been paralyzed all his life and say, stand up on your feet. And I love love that image of Paul looking directly at him and and looking at this man and acknowledging his humanity um, and saying to this man, uh, stand up on your feet. And like other reactions uh, to uh, miracles in Scripture, uh, the crowd draws the wrong conclusion about what they've seen. Um, But uh, Luke uh, uses the crowd's misunderstanding um, as a teaching opportunity uh, about the nature of the power that comes from the Gospel. And uh, though I think some might be flattered to be mistaken um, as Zeus or, or Hermes, like, oh, no, 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 I mean, I can, I can see why you would get us confused, but, but I'm not, actually, sorry. It's like being mistaken for, like, Brad Pitt or George Clooney. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I get it, but no. Um, so, while that can be flattering to be mistaken for a God, Paul and Barnabas are quick to not let them go along with that uh, delusion or that misconception. They are quick to say, no, 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 this power is not of us. It is from uh, uh, the power of Christ. Um... And, um, but, they do, but uh, the crowd doesn't seem to get it. Uh, Paul and Barnabas struggle uh, to convince the crowd that the gospel is not of human origin, uh, but it flows from a living God uh, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Uh, so, uh, they do their best, but they still want to have this big parade for them. They want to do all these sacrifices for them. Um, and so, but they try. Um, But because uh, the power of the gospel is not of human origin, because it is from the living God, um, the power of the gospel um, never abuses its authority um, to keep its power. Um, Nor uh, does the gospel or the power of uh, um, manifest itself in these vague abstractions that we can't understand. Um, it's, it's, not real, it's not all that complicated. It's, it's complex, but it's not all that complicated. So again, because uh, the, the gospel is from God, it never abuses its authority, and again, it, make, it does not come to us in these vague abstractions that we can't understand. Um, for, the, um, for ultimately, uh, the power of the gospel in Acts 14 is not some generic store-brand power. Um, it's a specific power. It's the power of Christ uh, in their midst. And as such, uh, the power of Christ gains strength through self-sacrifice and obedience, um, while also allowing itself to be known and to be experienced in relationship. Uh, there's a lot of power in this world that tries to be complicated on purpose, uh, that doesn't allow itself to be known, that does, like, it keeps, its, it keeps its distance from other people. But Jesus' power doesn't do that. It it makes itself known, um, and it also uh, is a power that uh, is willing to sacrifice um, for the sake of others. Um, And with Christ, as its propellant, uh, the power of the gospel uh, not only overcomes uh, the barriers of ancestry, but it also uh, can withstand and surmount the obstacles of deadly persecution uh, that Paul experiences here. Um, and because um, we have we have um, the good news and kind of the the, the hard news in Acts 14. Uh, Acts 14 definitely knows the joy that comes with accepting the gospel, as we see in Iconium and in Derby, where we get a lot of believers, a lot of uh, uh, numbers added to the faithful. Uh, that's reason to rejoice and to celebrate. But also. Uh, the stoning of Paul in Acts 14, uh, which Ellie did not read. Uh, we just kept it with the healing. Uh, but if you go to the next story, um, there is the stoning of Paul, uh, and which makes us uh, realize that Acts 14 also understands the pain that comes with the rejection of the gospel and the threat it poses uh, to the world. Um, because at Iconium, a group of uh, Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, uh, had formed a plan to stone God's messengers there. But Paul and Barnabas were able to get uh, wind of that. They were able to get a warning, and they were able to get away uh, from that particular instance. Uh, but after the healing of the lame man, uh, some Jews from Antioch and Iconium had come to Lystra to incite a mob, uh, willing to stone Paul and drag his body outside the city. Um, and that's a very powerful image, I think. I know at least when I was reading over it. Uh, when we look down upon the seemingly lifeless body of Paul, probably bruised, probably bloodied, and he's, as he's lying there, I think we get our third question uh, for today. And um, that is, Is are we prepared to endure uh, for the gospel? Are we ready to endure for the gospel? Because, yes, Luke's theology in Acts most definitely points to victory. Uh, Spoiler alert, yeah, there is victory in the end, for sure. Uh, And Luke definitely does not shy away from that. Uh, It is real. But it is also a victory that is forged in the fires of pain and danger. Um, And therefore, God's people, from the beginning, have always had to learn how to persevere uh, through pain and danger. and I think, if anything, uh, our study of Acts uh, this year uh, is, it has been a study on how believers uh, like Peter and Paul responded uh, to the tribulations they suffered for the sake of the gospel, which to me just makes uh, the, uh, their letters even more richer because they're coming from experience. They're not just these, um, I don't know, um, generic self-help books from people who have not been through what they're talking about. So... And because of that, um, it is no surprise that when you read the letters of Peter and Paul, uh, that they include instructions uh, to believers unsure of how to persevere um, through um, pain and danger as they experienced in the Acts. And I and found myself just really, again, just really... Um, Moved when I came into that realization that in 1 Peter 4 and in Romans 5, uh, I, I imagine them thinking back to those moments in Acts that they had lived through when they were writing this stuff. And uh, in his uh, first letter, Peter encourages the believers in chapter 4, uh, saying, But rejoice in much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, uh, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And then in Romans 5, um, Paul uh, energizes the faithful, by declaring in verses 3 and 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. But praise God, through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And, And I think... For us as believers, whether we're new to faith or whether we've been um, believers for a long time, I think um, that the violent hostility to the gospel uh, that we see in Acts 14 is one of the great mysteries um, that I still don't have many answers for. Because I ask myself, how could the forgiveness of fin- forgiveness of sins offend somebody so much that they would not imprison somebody? What is so bad? Like, what is so bad about that? Um, or uh, why should the offer of eternal life outrage uh, others to the point that they would stone somebody? I don't know why that is that way. And, of course, what about peace with God and with their neighbors makes someone so furious that they would kill someone? Again, these are mysteries that I don't really have a full grasp on, but it's, it's, it's present in Acts 14, uh, this violent hostility uh, to the good news. Um, and, but, again, I think what Acts 14 shows us is that violence and hostility uh, do not drive the narrative of Acts, nor any other part of the gospel. It's there, uh, but it's not in control of the story. Um, and um, because, in terms of Acts 14, if you notice that Luke only gives one verse to the stoning, that's it, he only gives one verse to Paul's pain in uh, Acts 14. There's only one verse. uh, Because rather than dwelling on the stoning, uh, Luke wants our attention focused on the strength of Christ um, and the gospel that not only possesses the power to overcome any affliction or threat in its path, uh, but has the power to lift us up uh, when stones or any other suffering knocks us down. Um, And... um, in reducing uh, the stone uh, stoning to a single sentence, I also don't want um, there this to be this idea um, that um, that X fourteen is um, trying to uh, minimize or devalue the painting uh, that we experience. That's not the point of that. Um, I believe, instead, that Acts 14 wants to to get a message to us who are suffering, a message that suffering doesn't want us to hear. Because if we've learned anything from suffering, it's that the more suffering knocks us down, the more suffering tries to convince us we have to stay down. Uh, It doesn't want us to know that we can get back up. Uh, And I think that's what Acts 14 is trying to tell us, is that we can actually get back up through the power of Christ. Um... And um, because even if sticks and stones do break our bones, God's word um, will never hurt us. And uh, so I think that's the reason why Luke is so uh, quick to move on from the stoning. It's not that Paul's pain doesn't matter, it's that uh, Paul's pain is not definitive. Um, And again, that the gospel, that Christ is greater than that. And as to what happens after the stoning, uh, verse 20 um, informs us that after the disciples had gathered around him, he had got up and went back into the city, and the next day he and Barnabas left for Derbe. And then there's something about this recovery that I think also uh, bears mentioning, is that... um, that... um, Yes, that Paul's miraculous recovery definitely gives glory to God and the power uh, of a testimony. But I would caution us against holding up Paul's uh, uh, rehab as the new standard um, for enduring suffering. It is glorious, it is miraculous, but I would caution us against uh, this being our new standard uh, for recovery. Because um, as a society, Uh, that is fond of timetables and schedules, Um, I think we need to remember that not every injury or wound heals in the same way or at the same time. So um, I think that's important uh, to remember. And if we uh, would benefit from Paul's example in his compassion towards the lame man, it would be be, uh, to remove phrases like get over it or move on. Because that's not what Paul tells the lame man. He says, stand up. Um, and in the, in the chaos of suffering, I think we forget that before we can move on, before we can get over it, we have to stand up first. And that's where we start uh, in our recovery. Um, so, Because what if the next day comes and someone isn't ready to stand up? What if the next morning somebody isn't ready to just get on or move on? from what they've experienced. Uh, What does it say about us that if we don't spring to our feet the morning after traumatic suffering? Well, I suppose it tells us that we're human. Um, And um, as humans, I think Acts 14 um, concludes uh, this, that there is no standing up. There is no getting over. There is no moving on without putting our trust in the power of Christ to redeem our suffering for his glory. Um, four, um, Acts 14 uh, does not applaud Paul or Barnabas for opening the door of faith to the Gentiles, um, but gives credit uh, to God, to the God of the universe who opened the door of faith when he opened the tomb. Um, And I think acknowledging this fact is also helpful for us, uh, that it is God who does the opening. Uh, We ourselves are open. We open our hands and our hearts and our minds. We are open ourselves, but as far as the action, uh, it's God doing the opening. It's not upon us. And I think that can spare us that burden of trying to save everybody. Like, I have to do this myself. It's not on me to do the saving. It's me me to do the telling and the sharing. it also helps to purify my motives uh, when I'm willing to travel and to grow and to endure for the gospel. Because I'm willing to travel, I'm willing to grow, I'm willing to endure, uh, not for my glory, but for God's glory. Uh, when, we, when we think about, um, again, this idea that um, it is the power of Christ that helps us to stand up, to get over, and to move on. And so, uh, this week, um, it is my prayer um, that we are ready to maybe to take one more step um, beyond our comfort zone. um, So that we may give, so that God may give us the capacity uh, to travel anywhere, uh, to any place in this world that needs to hear the gospel. And if we can make ourselves willing, again, God will make us able to go to those places. Um, I pray that this week we are prepared uh, for the power of Christ to transform our communities um, so that we might, so that God might grant us the capacity to grow, not in just numbers, but in depth of relationships. And again, if we are prepared for God's, for the power of Christ to transform this community, then God will give it the ability to grow. And again, it's not just about numbers here at Central. It's about depth of relationship. Um, And of course, um, my prayer this week is that we are willing uh, to be knocked down uh, for the gospel. And if we are willing to be knocked down for the gospel, it is God who gives us the ability to stand. And um, so again, I'm not sure where you are in your journey this week. I'm not sure where you've traveled to, uh, whether it's been to happy places or to sad places. I'm not sure uh, where you are in um, your growth or in your journey. Uh, maybe it's been more uh, shrinking uh, lately. I, d- I don't know. Um, and as far as enduring, you know, maybe it's been an easier week than others, or maybe it's been worse. Uh, but this is the, the time that we have now uh, to not only feel Christ's power. But again, uh, to feel um, the strength of the gospel uh, working in our lives. Um, So.